When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's my pleasure to welcome you here to the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can keep more of what you have. And there's been such a shift in how we shop for food. Americans are buying so many more groceries than historical. And for a period of time, people weren't really eating out. People got tired, a lot of people, including me got tired of eating home all the time and are eating more and more restaurant food and particularly fast food. Fast food outlets are seeing sales that are in many cases higher than a year ago. People feel extra safe going through the drive-through and getting food that way, but still grocery sales overall are up quite a bit. And a lot of people seeing shortages of some items, have tended to overbuy others. And so what ends up happening is we throw food out. And Americans historically have thrown out 40% of food. That's a stat I've heard over the years. I hope that's as close to accurate as it could be. But, you know, in my own life, I know that Food will go bad and we throw it out. The worst is when we throw out food because we think it's bad. And I want to deal with something that is really important, and that is how many items are marked with a date, but next to it it'll say Best Buy. So Best Buy is different than this item is toast, don't eat it, It'll be bad. It could make you sick or whatever. Best Buy is, uh, in many cases, a marketing date where the food manufacturer or processor hopes that you throw away that food uneaten so you then buy more. So when you see a Best Buy date, even on perishables, it may be just fine for long after that. And I have learned that by trial and error through the time period that we've been spending so much time at home since the second week of March. And a lot of things that in the past, without even thinking about it, I would have tossed, I don't need to. And there are items that really weren't good anymore, and so you toss them. But your other friend is the freezer. So a lot of things don't taste as good after you've taken a fresh food item and stashed it in the freezer, and then you thaw it back out, and then you eat it. It's not going to be as tasty, but you will save the food, and you'll be able to have it later. And so we actually 
um, early in our time at home, we ran out of space in our freezer. And you may know that freezers became unavailable in the country. They sold out in huge, huge, huge numbers. And only now are freezers becoming available again at the time that people are no longer buying more food than they currently need. So that initial phase of people buying because of anticipated shortages has lessened a lot, but the freezer is actually your friend for so many items. And I saw an item recently in Consumer Reports about some of the things you can do to help extend the life of fresh food items not using the freezer and some things we do that maybe we were always told they were the right thing to do but not necessary to do at all and for an example one of the things I never knew never never freeze I'm sorry never refrigerate bread or baked goods that they go stale pretty quickly and if you stored them in a bread box you know the question is it bigger than a bread box we actually have a bread box and it closes quite nicely and I've found that things like English muffins and raisin bread and things like that last three weeks past the uh, best buy date on them if they're in the bread box and the lid is closed there are many many things like that with food but remember you spent your hard-earned money to buy them and there's no reason for you to waste those things I don't want you to eat something that's absolutely gone bad that's gross but most items we have remember always when you see best buy on an item it means that that's a marketing term not necessarily a health and safety term it's time for your questions producers Kim and Joel alternating asking questions you posted at Clark.com slash ask and Kim who do you have a question from all right today we're starting with Lisa in California and it's a quick tip instead of a question Clark often uses the word cheaper or cheap when offering advice for better options. However, for many of us to hear something called cheap implies inferior, low quality, or low worth. I would like to suggest that Clark replace cheaper with less expensive, more affordable, or a better deal. Love you, Clark. Thank you. Thank you, and I appreciate that. Over the years, uh, it's been dozens of times people have made comments like yours and suggestions like yours and you got to know that there's a character flaw in this brain of mine i'm actually the rare individual who will accept lower quality for a lower price so when you hear me say cheaper cheaper it's from a really honest place inside me and that is that i will buy a lower priced item even if the quality is something i know to be lower most people that's not true and that's why you hear me talk about the private labels and the store brands that generally are equal or higher quality to brand names and all they do is save you money so i will uh, try to 
incorporate what you've said and use expressions other than cheap or cheaper. Joel? Clark James in Florida says, knowing Clark and myself are both big Consumer Reports fans, I want to know, are there any other product review websites that test more or have more current items or have more current reviews? Sometimes Consumer Reports doesn't test certain products for years on end. Yeah, so Consumer Reports is an incredible resource. And it's one that seems to be generally irrelevant to people under age 40 who look at it as their grandparents' resource guide. I don't know how that became an ageist thing, but Consumer Reports somehow has become something in in people's minds who are younger as an irrelevant thing. And I look at Consumer Reports as the ultimate example of what you want because they don't take money from anybody for any recommendation. They don't take free products. They buy everything that they test and they try to buy anonymously. And so you can trust what they say. With other reviews, you always got to be careful that the system's being gamed. As an example, the wisdom of the crowd that you have in Amazon reviews, where Amazon's review system has been continually corrupted by sellers or by product manufacturers. And other review sites generally take free products. So you have to really read between the lines when they say something, every product seems to rate above average, and they kind of soft pedal the things they don't like. So there's nothing out there that I give the kind of credibility to that I give to Consumer Reports. Having said that, I was recently buying a new Chromebook. And when I was buying it, I didn't find the up-to-the-minute information I wanted from Consumer Reports. So I went and read different technology site reviews of Chromebooks, and it was like uh, I went through maybe six different review sites till I really had enough confidence that I had truly found the one I wanted to get. And the one I ended up getting was uh, uh, one with a 15.6-inch screen, and it was $369, which is at the high end of pricing for Chromebooks. But this was one for business use that had really beefed-up features. So I don't have other go-tos that I could say are as good as Consumer Reports. So that's why it takes more time and more effort to find the information you're looking for elsewhere. Kim? Paula in Georgia says, would it be possible for Clark to provide updates of international travel destinations as they become available? It would be great to be able to receive updates so we know where we can go. Wonderful question, and what I'll do is, you know, we have our travel section on Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com, and I will talk to our travel editor to see if she can put together a guide that she just, once she initially writes it, it can just be simply updated as other countries come open. One problem we've had is that other countries that are opening back up for travel are still prohibiting Americans because of the number of coronavirus outbreaks we have 
in the United States compared to other countries. So there are places that have opened back up, but still won't accept anybody from the U.S. But the idea you have is a great one, and I miss being able to travel to other places far away, and I can't wait till we as a family decide that that's something we can do again, just like you want to do. Joel? Clark James in Indiana says, I'm starting to save money to purchase a newer vehicle. If I plan to buy within the next two years, where's the best place to put my money now? Well, should I put it under my mattress or in a savings account or a money market account? What's your take? Put it in a straight savings account with an online bank. The interest rates keep falling with them, but even now you're still learning about 1.5% on that money, and that would be a good place to put it away. With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Christina's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Christina. Hi, Clark. How's it going? Good. Thank you for taking my call. Certainly. Um, I I am calling because my family is moving uh, about four or five months from now, and we're moving to kind of a remote area. We're actually moving to Alaska, and it has the town that we're moving to has a pretty competitive housing market, and we're finding that houses that are um, more interesting or that we'd want to live in would disappear within about a, a week of being on the market. Like they just come and go so quickly. And being thousands of miles away from the town that we're moving to, we're kind of wondering how to go about this house search. And um, we, have, we have friends in town there that can look at houses for us. But we're, we're realizing if we want to buy a house, we would likely need to put an offer in on a house without even seeing it in person first and then possibly flying up for an inspection or something like that. Wow, you're and killing me of, right now. You're killing me. What, uh, what town know, is right? it? Well, what, and, what town is it in Alaska? I'm curious. It's in Ketchikan oh, is yeah. where we're moving. Okay. So, and, and to make matters worse, I know you're going to recommend renting. And we aren't opposed to renting. The problem is, is when we're moving there, it's going to be peak tourist season. So we would need to secure a rental right now and then pay for it for probably four to five months without actually being there. Because otherwise, we aren't going to be able to get a rental, you know, the month that we want to move there. So so that, that is an option, and we're willing to do that. I would, I would take, if, if you really have to do that, where you have to pay for months you're not going to be occupying... Mm-hmm. I would still rather you rent because the lifestyle change for you going from, where are you now? We are in Utah. Oh, where in Utah are you? Um, we're in central Utah, a town called Fillmore. Okay. Well, um, it's a dramatic lifestyle change living in Alaska. And right. truth be told, it doesn't stick for a lot of people. Yeah, and that's what we, my husband has a job, and right now we're committed to living there for three years, which I know is still short, um, but if 
we like it. We'd like to live there longer. Another thing I want to mention is that we have our current house completely paid for. And so when it sells, we would have all of that money to put towards a new house. Um, so I don't know if that makes a difference. You I don't just, know. You just, just convinced me out. like four different ways that you should rent. Okay. <laughs> because, you know, a three-year window, 36 months, uh, you don't know what happens on the job, and maybe it'll be a, it'll be like where you want to be forever. That catch can is the only place you ever want to live forever and ever. <laughs> or you may get there, and the job doesn't turn out to be what your husband thought it would be. Or you just you just don't know. It's it's not like moving to a foreign country, but moving to Alaska is somewhat is so different. It is somewhat like moving to a, another country. Yeah. Yep, and so, we've been up there to visit, but but it's not the same as living there. So, thank you for saying that because that is so true. So I know <laughs> yep. I know you want to just um, buy a place, know it's your home, and have that sense of permanence. But your situation really, really lends itself to renting. And I know this is really nuts, but maybe the whole three years. Unless you hit a point at some point in it, you're like, you know what? This is our forever place. Let's buy Mm -hmm. something. Because the the cost in and cost out of buying real estate is so large that the economics really don't typically work. So you've been in a place, usually seven years is when you overcome a lot of the expenses of buying in and then later selling so just think about that, even though it's not your preferred choice. Great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you and that wallet. I want you to learn ideas to me so you can keep more of what you have. And it has been a very, very confusing time for people that are investing for the future, whether you're doing so in a 401k an IRA, a traditional investment account, using something like Robinhood, wherever it is you're investing, it has been a really unusual time. And there are a few things I want you to think about right now with your investing. Remember first your time horizon. I received an email from a friend who had completely panicked three months ago and was on the verge of selling everything. I'm going to sell everything and go to cash. And very patiently, over a number of phone calls and emails, I kept going through with him when he was going to need the money and how the money was invested and all that. And... I assumed, after all those conversations, that he went ahead and sold everything anyway. He didn't, to my surprise. And I got an email from him last week telling me that he was so glad he hung in there and that I talked him off the ledge. But then he had a follow-up question for me, and that is, his investments now with all the ups and downs and sideways and all that, are out of whack. He's got too much of one kind of exposure, not enough of another. And 
this becomes very important if you're not in a simple form of investing like a target retirement fund. You know, a target retirement fund, which is something I very strongly encourage people who don't want to spend their days trying to figure out investing, just want to build financial security, is a place to go because what they do in a target retirement fund is they continually modify the mix of investments as you age and then regularly, routinely, make sure that their mix is in line. So if one particular type of investing goes way up in value and another doesn't, they have to do something called rebalancing, where they sell some of one and buy more of another in order to keep the target retirement fund focused in a mix that they believe is right for your objectives, your age, your situation. Well, for us as individuals, if you own individual uh, mutual funds, index funds, whatever, they get out of whack every year. And if you're inside a retirement account, there's no tax consequence to you. I think once a year is good. Looking at what you have, seeing if it really fits the mixes you were looking for, and doing the simple rebalancing thing where you sell part of one thing you have and you buy more of another so that you keep things in line. You know, during times that the stock market is on a steady rise, as it was for years up till really 2018, and then after 2018, things started going more up and down, up and down. The reality is what happens is that people end up with way too much of their money in stock choices and not enough in others, like bonds. And so it creates a riskier portfolio than you intended. Now, all this becomes much more difficult if you have just a regular investment account, because when you sell stuff, you can trigger tax. So an alternative that people do with an investment account is they stop buying, if they're buying things every 30 days or whatever, where you're putting money into your various fund choices, is that you discontinue putting money into things that you have too much of your money in and instead take money you were putting towards those and put them in things that now there's too little money in so you got back in balance. The reality is even people who really understand rebalancing never get around to it because it's not, it's not a fun activity. It's clerical, it's boring, and all the rest. But it can lead to a big difference in what kind of money you have down the road. Now, for people that are more sophisticated investors, I want to add one additional thought into your head. And it's something you heard me talk about, uh, I think, last year. The idea that bonds were not as good an investment as they'd been in the past as a way for you to balance your investment risk, because with interest rates being so low, when interest rates ultimately start rising again, the value of your bond funds will decline. And I thought about this whole idea, talking about this, because of a call I had the other day from someone about this. An alternative is right now, even though the interest rates are so crummy, is that 
money you would normally put in bonds instead goes straight into money market. And that way you're at a fixed uh, dollar cost, you know, where everything's at a fixed dollar. So with the movement in interest rates up and down, you're getting lower return on that portion of your portfolio, but you don't have to worry about what interest rate risk would do to the value of your bond funds. And I know for a lot of people that was more information than you cared to hear or needed to know, but it's really important that if all this is just a big bore or not interesting to you or intimidating, the important thing is live on less than what you make and go to the default of these target retirement funds where they do all those mechanics for you behind the curtain for you, you're able to build a diversified financial portfolio that fits your future time period and goal. It's time for your questions for uh, you posted at clark.com slash ask that you have for me. Producers Kim and Joel asking who's up. It's me and this is from Daniel in Oklahoma. Daniel says, someone opened an account at a cell phone company in my name. I contacted the cell phone company and they agreed it wasn't mine. But when Equifax investigated the dispute, they claimed that the cell phone company had confirmed the account. I called the cell phone company again and again they said that it would be removed for me and they sent me an email to that effect. A couple of days later, they reported the same fraudulent account to TransUnion. This is two days after the second time I called the cell phone company and five weeks after the first time I called them. I don't know how to fix this and it is destroying my credit score. I'm sure it is. That is a hideous thing that happens when somebody establishes cell phone service as if they're you. And what you can do under the law is you dispute that again, it's basically a redispute with the original credit bureau that had the negative information on you and uh, the one that just now has you listed negatively because of this. And what you do is you provide source document, the actual source document from the cell phone company saying that it was a fraudulent act, not by you, and you request that your records be updated with the credit bureau, and then that they suppress the negative information. The credit bureaus have the ability, once they've been provided with source document showing that something is a false posting, can suppress electronically so the item does not reappear at the fault of the cellular company. Now, what's going on with the cell company is ridiculous. If you are active on social media, start slamming the cell phone company on every form of social media you use. Cell phone companies monitor very closely what people post on social media, and a problem they have failed to resolve to this point, they may actually fix once they see it's causing reputational harm for them and not just a private thing with you going back and forth with customer no service. Please let me know how you do with this. If you still run into a brick wall, I want to hear back from you. Joel? Clark John in Texas says, what's the best way to find distressed real estate in order to fix it up and sell it for a profit? 
Joel, I'm going to let you answer that because <laughs> this is something you do and you have done regularly for years. And I got to go uh, back. One thing I forgot to say on the thing with the cell phone, you, this can only occur if your credit's not frozen. You also need to freeze your credit so that nobody can pretend to be you at a cell phone store. And go ahead, Joel, how would you tell a would-be real estate investor to find those beaten up unloved properties? Yeah, it's a good question. I think that you need to be consistently looking. That's one really important thing. And in a specific geographic area, the more you can get to know a certain area of nearby where you live, whether it's your neighborhood or it's surrounding neighborhoods, you just need to be really familiar with the pricing, you know, when when things go up. And then it helps you be able to, to spot when a deal pops up. And it's not always necessarily um, a, a distressed sale, right? Clark, you've mentioned that before. It's not always a foreclosure. It could just be someone who's l- moving and, and they need to move quickly or, or whatever. And so you never know when or how you're going to find the best deal. But the biggest thing is to be looking, have a good real estate agent that's helping to look up properties for you. And then you know be ready to pounce quickly when you do feel like there is an undervalued home that's gone for sale in the area that you're looking to buy in. And you look every single day, don't you? You know, I used to. I used to for sure. And I'm just, I'm looking less and less. Um, And it's not because I'm less interested in real estate. I think as the prices have just gone up, the deals are so much harder to find. And there's so much else going on in my life these days that, yeah, I just haven't been as dedicated to it recently. Well, having 12 children. Right. That does it, right? That's the biggest factor. It feels like 12 right now. Three feels like 12. That's for sure. Yeah. So, you know, I wanted you to talk about it because you have five rental properties now and you haven't bought anything in two years or three years? Yeah, two years. Just because the deals are not what they were before. And so it requires you to truly farm an area is what it's called in the industry, where you pick out certain neighborhoods and you get to know those neighborhoods street by street and then watch those listings. I love your suggestion about a real estate agent who also farms that area as being your eyes and ears for things that they may know about before they pop up on public listings. And it only works to buy a distressed piece of real estate if you can do the work yourself in most cases to fix it up like you did, Joel, with your very first distressed property you bought. Yeah, that's right. I think you have to be willing to get your hands a little dirty. At minimum, you got to be willing to go in there and, and paint and clean and stuff like that. And uh, You and did the, way beyond that. <laughs> yeah, the more you're able to do, the more you can make it you know, a profitable enterprise, that's for sure. And Kim, who do you have a question from? This is from Aaron in Colorado. Aaron says, I've received several notices from my credit union about a free $2,000 accidental death and dismemberment policy. Is there any catch to this or any reason why I shouldn't take advantage of it? Oh, By yeah. the way, my husband and I already have term life. Yeah, so these policies that they give you for free is a marketing tool to then try to get you to buy coverage that would be way beyond that amount because $2,000 is a token amount. And once they've introduced it to you, they hope you'll turn around and buy big amounts of it from them. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. 
Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Dave is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Dave. How are you doing? Not too bad. How about yourself? Great. Thank you. So, Dave, you have a very important question about making sure your money is safe and secure. Yeah, yeah, I do. I actually was uh, helping my 19-year-old daughter get involved in investing, and she's recently added an online banking savings account, and uh, I actually opened up a Fidelity account also, and she was asking me whether there was an online app she could use to bring all her different investments into one spot and have it updated so she can just keep track there. And I know there is. I just wasn't familiar myself with if there's anything. It it seems to me that you have to probably give some passwords out and let them go in and drag the information in. So I wasn't sure if I understood whether things were, you know, secure enough to do that or what your opinion was on that topic. Right. So what are known as screen scrapers are pretty controversial. But there's that's what it's called when you give, uh, let's say, somebody like Mint, you give them your usernames and passwords for sites so you can have a dashboard that updates regularly. Well, the good news now is several banks and brokerage houses have come up with procedures where you can register an account and have it listed with Mint, and Mint does not have the actual username and password. And so it would depend, and that's, if you're familiar, you heard me talk about Mint, is that familiar to you? Yeah, Mint and then Personal Capital was another one we were looking at. So, yes, we're a little familiar with some of those things. So the question is, um, I'm, I don't know Personal Capital myself, but the question with any of the ones you use that give you that ability to see your whole financial snapshot or dashboard is do they have those relationships where you're not having to cough up username and password? Because what you're... Okay. All these sites in good faith do what they can to protect security. But there's always the risk, right? If they sure. have that information that a sophisticated hacker gets in and they're able to crack the code, and then potentially your accounts are at risk of being breached. So the idea of these cooperative arrangements where you don't have to give up that information in order for a central platform to have your information for you is really great. So um, I think the risk then becomes minuscule and is a good idea because then you're able to see what's going on in her case with the savings account at one place, the investments at Fidelity and all that. You're able to get an overall picture. And plus, you can put on the bills you owe and see what's going on with the money going out and have a true picture of your overall financial health so i'm all for it 
So that makes sense, just a matter of whether they have a relationship with the particular app that we're looking at, is what it sounds like. Exactly. Because then you have to make a calculated decision. If they don't, and you want to have access to that all in one place, are you willing to take the risk of that site's encryption and protection in order to be able to have access to the information? And I can't tell you to take that risk. That's really a call you and your daughter have to make. Sure. No, that all makes sense. So, okay. Well, well appreciate best it. to you, and I'm so glad. You said she's 19, and she's, she's already 19, into yeah. this. You know I love that, right? Yep, trying to push her in the right direction. That is great. Great to have you here, and you're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.